for doing the right thing, even when it seemed impossible, or when doing the right thing could cost you everything. Interwoven within the, this light-hearted and often downright bizarre message of Purim is a courageous story, a story of a young woman who literally risked her life in order to save the Jewish people. The gravity of Esther's actions are often drowned out by the overall story and the message of Purim itself. We often either read the book of Esther so lightheartedly that we miss some of the extremely troubling passages, or we read it so seriously that we lose sight of the playfulness of the book. To understand this, you need to understand that Esther is not your typical biblical book. And it was because of many of these details that it almost did not actually make it into the canon. As we talked about it, our Purim study the other night, it's the only book in all of the, uh, the Hebrew scriptures of the Tanakh that is not attested to in the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? And there's even questions in some of the early writings as to whether it should have been included or not. Because not only was it very late, it barely slid into the canon. So why is it even in here? What are some of these unique characteristics and themes within the book of Esther? The first thing that I want to mention is this idea that we've talked about many times of the idea of hester panim, right? That the rabbis see within the name Esther itself a hint at this book. The word Esther sounds like, which is not a Hebrew word, is, uh, sounds like the Hebrew word hester, which means to hide. So you'll notice within this book, Hester Panim, not only is God's presence hidden within the story, there are many other things hidden as well. Throughout the book of Esther, what seems obvious is actually hidden, and what is hidden is supposed to be obvious. There is no mention of God. For a biblical book, it's interesting that God's name, either you know Hashem, Elohim, El, any kind of reference to God is not present in the book of Esther. And yet you would say, reading through it, that his presence is everywhere. Haman's connection to the Amalekites, like we spoke about last week, and a connection to a long history of hatred against the Jewish people is also hidden when you read through Esther. We are only told that Haman, it, boo, that Haman is an Agagite, right? You have to go back to the Haftarah from Shabbat Zahor in 1 Samuel to realize the connection that Haman is a descendant of King Agag, who was the king of the Amalekites, who were supposed to blot out their memory. Even the Jewish identities of our heroes of Purim are hidden. For the most part, they were assimilated Jews. From the outset, they would seem the least likely of Jewish heroes that you would use for a biblical story. Speaking of their hidden identities, it says even when Esther got into the palace, for she did not reveal her people or her family ties, right? Even their names. We know that what was Esther's Hebrew name? Hadassah. But what is the name that she is known by? Esther. Where, what is the origin of this name? Ishtar or Estarte. Ishtar is the goddess of fertility. Mordechai 
Does anybody know the origins of his name? Marduk is the chief deity of Babylon. So Marduk Chai. May Marduk live. Both of them, even their names, are pagan. And they're not even pagan. They're named after gods. Not a single time other than when they're faced with annihilation, do we ever read about any of these people being devout? Like other heroes in the Bible that are talked about, oh, they keep Shabbat, and they are you know, faithful to pray, and all these things. We don't see any of this with these heroes. We are told Mordecai is Jewish, but not once is there any mention of him being devout, God-fearing, or even observant of the mitzvot. So unusual for a biblical book. Even their prayer and fasting in the story is the result of a foxhole situation. Apart from their role in the story, they were not what we would call Jewish role models, right? Apart from this story, you would look at them and think, what's the big deal? Throughout the book of Esther, what might seem the most obvious parts are actually the most hidden. Things are not always what they seem, but it is our job to seek out these hidden truths. In Proverbs 25, 2, it says, It is the glory of God to conceal the matter, but the glory of kings to search it out. On Purim, we are kings and queens. And as part of that, it is our job to seek out these hidden aspects of Purim. But not only are things in the book of Esther hidden, they are also extremely exaggerated. There is a party that lasts 180 days. Somebody invite me to that party, right? <laughs> and then, as though 180 days is not enough, which is like a third of a year, they throw another seven-day-long party for all of the country. Bountiful gifts and holidays at every chapter. There's an endless flow of alcohol. There's a kidnapping of beautiful young virgins from the entire empire. There's a beauty pageant that was supposed to be conducted in the buff in the nude. There's sexual innuendo all over the story, and there are women galore. And there's gallows over 75 feet high, which is high. This isn't like a story. This is a few stories. This is, everything is ridiculous. Even the, the gallows that they build are bigger than anything that you would normally build. An edict of an extermination went out to all 127 provinces in all the languages. Everything is bold and exaggerated. Even some of the measurements and calculations mentioned are almost to the point of being ridiculous. So again, what are we supposed to make of all of this? How did this book get in the Bible? Now, before you start throwing rocks at me, right? <laughs> let, me, let me at least finish. Purim teaches us that although everything might seem overwhelming, the odds stacked against us we're not supposed to give up. As overwhelming and as crazy as it may seem, God is still in control. Hence, another theme within the Bible, the idea of hipuch, of sudden reversal. That over and over and over again in the Bible, God does the opposite of everything that we expect. And that's exactly what happens in the book of Esther when everything is stacked against the Jewish people, we should have lost. But as Rabbi Yaakov Asher Sinclair points out, the only difference between a tragedy and a comedy is the ending, right? When you think about the, the ancient stories, they were either a tragedy or a comedy. 
And the only difference is the ending. The book of Esther is written in the classic style of a comedy. The whole tragedy is turned upside down, hipuch. Haman is hung on the enormous gallows that he himself built. Again, I want you to get the irony of this. The Jewish people are saved when faced from certain doom. Thousands of Persians convert to Judaism, right? This like nothing religion. Now all these people are converting to Judaism. And a Jewish girl becomes queen of Persia. Persia is modern day Iran. These people hate Israel, right? Like, again, I want you to get all of the, you know, the irony of all of this. The irony of the book should be evident. Yet, as I mentioned, hidden within the irony of the book is a serious message of courage and heroism, the answer to why we celebrate Queen Esther. Esther's actions required a level of courage often overlooked. Within ancient Persia, the queen did not have as much power and influence as you would think. You would think as the queen, she can do whatever she wants. That's not the case. In fact, when Mordecai is lamenting the decree to exterminate the Jewish people, and Esther, and goes to Esther to plead for her to intervene, she quickly becomes defensive, right? No, 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 no. I can't even do anything that you're asking me to do. Why? Because she would be attempting, and she would be risking her own life. In chapter 4, verse 10, we read, And Esther spoke to Hatach and gave him the message for Mordecai. All the king's officials, as well as the people in the royal provinces, know that if anyone, whether a man or a woman, approaches the king in the inner courtyard without being summoned, there is just one law. They must be put to death. Unless the king holds out the gold scepter for him to remain alive, and I haven't been summoned to the king for the past 30 days. So the only way you could approach the king is if you were summoned, and she hasn't even been summoned to the king for 30 days. Yet Mordecai responds with one of the most powerful messages of the story, which we've heard over and over again. Upon being told what Esther had said, Mordecai asked them to give Esther this answer. Don't suppose that merely because you happen to be in the royal palace that you will escape any more than any other Jews, right? Don't think because of your privilege. Don't think because of your status. Don't think because you wear a crown on your head that you will escape. When it comes to slaughtering Jews, nobody will care what you look like. This happens over and over and over again. It's so interesting that Jews in every generation think assimilation is the answer, that the answer is to hide, and what ends up happening? People find us every time there's a pogrom. Every time something happens, it doesn't matter your status. Rich and poor were sent to concentration camps. People who owned, people who had nothing. Don't think that merely because you happen to be in the royal palace that you will escape any more than any other Jews. For if you fail to speak up now, sure, maybe relief and deliverance will come to the Jews from a different direction. But you and your father's family will perish. Who knows whether you didn't come into your royal position precisely for such a time as this? He challenges her. You think that you became queen of Iran just based on your looks? Says she was shapely and beautiful, fine. But she was up against lots of other shapely and beautiful women, right? Why her? Because God had a plan. 
And he tells her, sure, maybe God will save the Jewish people some other way, but don't think that you won't suffer if you don't do anything. And she decides to do the only thing that she can do. She says, okay, I'll do it. I'll go to the king, which isn't lawful, right? She says, Esther had them return this answer to Mordecai. Go assemble all the Jews to be found in Shushan and have them fast for me, neither eating nor drinking for three days, night and day. Also, I and the girls who are attending me will fast the same way. Then I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Then Mordecai went on his way and did everything Esther had ordered him to do. British theologian Oswald Chambers theorized that heroes are not born in an instant. Rather, they are groomed over a lifetime to respond heroically when moments arise. Whether assimilated or not, religious or not, Esther was raised with a certain moral and ethical value that at that moment are resurrected. When Esther is confronted with what really matters, she builds up the courage to act. And she becomes the savior of a generation by doing the right thing, even when it meant putting her own life at risk. But it was in that moment that she became a hero. We have the privilege of being able to look back and we realize that she's a hero because of this great thing that ended up happening. But she's not a hero because the Jewish people were able to defeat their enemies. She's a hero because she did the only thing that she could do in that moment. She decided, I will go to the king and I will plead on behalf of the people. We often think that to be a hero or to do something courageous is some huge monumental moment. But often it's doing the little daily things that we think are not a big deal. Or being willing, willing to challenge ourselves just a little bit, but sometimes being stretched the tiniest amount will have a great result. The Midrash teaches that in the Messianic age, when all the other festivals will be abolished, which one will remain? Purim. Purim will remain. Why? Of all the great biblical holidays that we have, why Purim? According to Rabbi, Asher, Rabbi Yaakov Asher Sinclair, the reason is because this is what it will be like with the coming of Mashiach. It will be a sudden reversal. He says, when Mashiach comes, he will come in an instant and things will be turned upside down in a second, just like they were on Purim. When everything seems to be going against us, God will turn things around. So what do we learn from Purim? What often seems obvious is really hidden. Sometimes in life, we have to dig for real answers. Especially in today's day and age, we want everything to come easy. We want access to everything in a moment. But the reality is, sometimes the most difficult questions in life require digging. They require discomfort. They require challenge. Some will wrestle with our whole lives. Although life may at times feel overwhelming and exaggerated, God is still in control. Therefore, we must always remain vigilant. Even when God seems to be hidden, 
or when God seems to be absent. And lastly, when Mashiach comes, in an instant, everything will change. Becoming a hero is something that we are groomed for. But it is not because we put on a cape or we do some great monumental thing. It's because we choose in our daily lives to make simple, everyday choices that end up having major results. In a moment that matters, you choose to do something rather than nothing. Esther, in a moment of courage, risked her own comfort on behalf of the Jewish people. And her being willing to do her part enabled God to do God's part. Do you have such courage? Do I have such courage? When our own necks are on the line to do something right, what will we do? Not if, but when the Jewish people are again facing certain annihilation, will you be a hero or a zero? One of those who are not willing or one who is willing to take the risk, even at the risk of their own neck. Courage does not necessarily take place in such harrowing moments as I mentioned earlier. It happens in the hidden moments of our lives when nobody is watching. I pray each one of us in the most difficult of moments, always chooses to respond with courage. That no matter the circumstances, we are always people who act with menschkeit. With doing the right thing, even when nobody's watching. That we would respond to every situation, not only with character, but with, with an ethic, with a responsibility. Although Purim is often a lighthearted affair, the book of Esther itself deals with both lighthearted and serious issues. And God, who is seemingly hidden, is constantly at work behind the scenes. Purim is a reflection of our own lives. At times, it's serious. At times, it's joyful. And at other times, even bizarre. And there's so many things in our lives that seem hidden, and only when we get to heaven and stand before the glorious throne will we look back and say, uh-huh, when I thought you weren't even there was the time you were most present. Through it all, we can trust that there is an overarching plan. And in moments of trial, Hashem is there to give us courage. Tonight, we're going to celebrate Purim. Tonight, beginning at 6 p.m., right here, we'll be, having, we'll be continuing our Purim celebrations. We're, of course, going to have a Megillah reading, a costume contest for children and adults. So come prepared. There will be prizes, games and activities, food, hamantashen, and more. Fun and freilach for the entire family. So come ready to continue celebrating the deliverance of the Jewish people. And a Jewish woman who, in a moment, made a courageous choice at the cost of her own neck. Chag Sameach, happy Purim, and we'll see you tonight. Shabbat Shalom. So please rise.